you that we can, uh, we can be here, we can lift voices. Lord, we're rooted in ancient scripture that rings with relevance to today. And I think of the psalmist who said, make a joyful noise. Enter your gates with thanksgiving and into your courts with praise. Lord, in this moment, we are thankful amidst uh, the imperfections and the things that aren't going our way. Heartache and stress and even that big thing that's dominating us. That worry that's choking us off. Lord, I pray that we would, as we often cite here, not let what's wrong with us keep us from worshiping what is right with you. And God, I thank you. I pray that this is not a wasted hour. Lord, that you would work in us. Lord, I'm the pastor and my sins are many and I thank you. I, for one, thank you that you use a broken vessel. Lord, I pray for your people. I pray for those gathered, for every heart that is willing, Lord, that we would receive what you have for us. Your word says that your word, the word, is active. It's living and active, and it's able to discern, to judge, to distinguish the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And so today, Lord, would you work in us if there's a sin that we need to confess? A promise we need to cling to. Something that we need to orient our hearts towards. Lord, I pray for the active, living, distinguishing work of your word and your spirit in this place. In Jesus, this is our prayer. Amen. Good morning, everybody. I got to speak this week to the MRA, Madison Ridgeland Academy, first through fifth grade chapel, and I would ask them a question and they would answer it, they would speak back to me, so they kind of spoiled me a little bit. So good morning, everybody. All right, good stuff there. Good to be with you. Uh, A few times this week I've had a thought enter into my mind. I thought about a few of you, and I thought, gosh, I hadn't seen them in church in a while, and then I realized I hadn't been in church in a while. So it's good to be back. Thank you for time away. The travel, it was needed. It nourished us. It was really, uh, really good for us in many ways. When a pastor leaves for an extended period of time, there's always a couple of thoughts or theme songs that the church has for him. One, it could be uh, Hit the Road Jack and Don't You Come Back No More. Ray Charles is my favorite version of that. Or uh, Welcome Back, like Welcome Back Carter. Welcome back. Welcome back. She's saying I should stop. But anyway, welcome back, Carter. Good to be back. And weren't we blessed, weren't you blessed by Dr. Jimmy Stewart and Nick Crawford, who filled in and led and preached the word so well. Uh, really good uh, for them. Jimmy, not much applause there, but you did great. Jimmy is an elder. He, he and Nick are dear friends. They've been at Fonder from the beginning, helped us build our church. And Jimmy is an elder who is a doctor. Nick is a pastor who was a lawyer. Bad career move there, I guess. But uh, we love those guys. So a doctor and a lawyer and now me, just me. We're in a book called Galatians. We're walking through it. Uh, Jimmy hit chapter 3. Nick hit chapter 4. I'm going to hit chapter 5 uh, this week and next week. It's just rich. It's also rich. But this is good stuff. If you have a Bible, turn to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to put it on the screen. We're really going to do it a little differently today. We'll put a couple of verses on the screen. What I want to do, my intended goal, whether I hit my target or not, I don't know. But I want to prompt you to want to read the whole chapter 
yourself. To say, hmm, is that really in there, that stuff he talked about? The works of the flesh and all that? Uh, is it in there? And you'll want to read it yourself later. The fruit of the Spirit is in there. We like that. But there's a lot in here. And again, it's really rich. And I want to prompt you to read it later on your own. Galatians chapter 5 uh, verse 1, it puts it this way. It says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So remember this week I did the chapel at MRA, asked him some questions. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to answer it. What reason did Christ set us free? For freedom, thank you. The 930 was afraid to answer. I'm full of trick questions. But yes, it's right there in front of you. You got this. For freedom Christ set us free. Point one of the sermon today from the preacher is this. We inherently value freedom. Undoubtedly, you've heard some of these phrases. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Let freedom ring. Um, I am free. I am free. Thank God I am free. Free at last. Free at last. These, this is a part of our language. Here's a photo. Everybody in the room knows who this is. This is a lady that represents liberty in the New York Harbor. And she stands tall and proud. And you'll see on her crown there are seven spikes. Apparently it represents the seven seas and the seven continents. Saying that everybody from all over are welcome at her feet. There's a broken chain to symbolize that we take in the bruised and the broken. Now no way am I going to tackle uh, immigration reform here in this sermon and have some sort of foreign policy stance because I want you to come back to Fondren Church. But I do want to start there with the baseline that despite your politics that we have to agree on is that uh, our nation was birthed on this idea though we're debating and dissecting things and fighting and fussing this country was built on this idea of come to us at the inscription there on the pedestal you know what it says bring all the tired and the weak and the huddled masses listen yearning to breathe free when Jesus was a boy he went to the temple scripture says as was his custom and the first time it was sort of the the first public ministry he takes a scroll and he reads from the prophet Isaiah and he says in the midst of these people he says that I have been anointed I have been appointed to preach the good news to the poor recovery of sight to the blind release for the prisoners and all those who are oppressed be set free much more than the value of our nation is the heart of the gospel that people in chains people in slavery people tied down and stuck would be released and be set free that is the gospel we say it all the time but it really is a good news message a good news message for everybody we value freedom but does it evade us are you free you remember this famous Christmas movie. Here's a, a little boy who um, was double dog dared. You guys ever double dog dare? I got double dog dared the other day by like a 38 year old. But here, here are these boys on the playground and they issue the double dog dare of will you put your tongue on the frozen flagpole? It's an icy cold December morning and he does. And what happens? Let me ask you, is he free? You've seen this movie. He's stuck. He's in pain. He's not free. He accepted the double dog dare and he can't break away. And I would say to you this morning that we ourselves, on a regular basis, we receive a double dog dare. Make it about this, do this, do this to please other people. Make it about sex, make it about money, make it about security, make it about you. 
and we get stuck. We're a people in so many ways that aren't free. Samson desired Delilah. The rich young ruler craved wealth. King Saul, he, he worshipped at the altar of power. Cain exacted revenge. They all went after what they wanted, but were they free? You know, you can drink all the alcohol you want. That's not the policy of this church. I'm just saying, you are, uh, some of you look really happy there just for a second. So that was our staff, Jeff and Ashley on the front row. But um, hey, you can drink all the alcohol you want, right? In the privacy of your home, you're free to do that. Now, you can't drink and drive, listen, young people. You can't drink and, drink and drive. That can be disastrous. But in the privacy of your own home, you, you're free to drink all the alcohol you want. But it can hurt you. It can harm your marriage. It can jeopardize your job. It can embarrass your kids. It can threaten your reputation for a drink, for all you want. You'll sacrifice your livelihood and your liver and ultimately your life, but you're free to do what you want. You are free in the privacy of your own home to drink all the alcohol you want, but are you free? Are you free? You're free to drink all you want, but you're not free when you can't not drink. And in us is that. The reality of what we go for, what we long for, what we think will help and aid and get us down the road is the very thing that enslaves us. We value freedom. and It's in our country. It's in the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We preach it often. We sing about it. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Don't miss that. But are we a free people? And in Galatians chapter 5 that you're going to read later, Paul gives us a couple of big reasons. They're variant points, but he gives us two big reasons uh, in why we don't find freedom. And the first is it's falling back. In fact, let me go ahead. Some of you are bottom line people. Let me put these three points up. And this is the sermon, the essence of the sermon. So you can take a picture of this or jot it down real quick and just go to sleep the rest of the sermon. Okay? Here it is. This is really all that I want to say. On the left, there's legalism. And Paul is saying in verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has died for you. He says, but you've submitted again to the yoke of slavery. You're falling back into the law, into the old way. Years ago, approximately 25, 26 years ago, when I was a bachelor living in Miami, Ken and Daryl and our roommates had a friend who came over, and his plan, he came over from Eastern Europe. Now, again, this was a long time ago, a couple of decades and a half, when the winds of change were sweeping across Europe. He was from a, an Eastern European nation that represented a Marxist atheistic country, a totalitarian regime. There was danger, there was this uh, dictator, there was uncertainty, and he grew up having a curfew. Every night, a curfew. When he was with us, there were a couple of times that I remember well when he would look at his watch, notice that it was getting dark in South Florida, and get nervous like he had to go home. He was ready to hail a cab. Hey, you can stay out. You can stay up. You don't have to go home. You're, you're confused about what you're called to do. The old laws no longer apply to you. And can I tell you, that's Galatians. Like, don't miss that. Like, theologically, that's good, and that's the heart of why this fiery leader, Paul, 
gets fired up. He's saying you're missing it because there's some things that no longer apply. If you remember last week, I think Nick hit this, but the, the law is a schoolmaster. It leads us, but there's a, there's a new day. There's something new that God is doing in the person of Jesus, and he wants to lead you to freedom. Aren't you glad that you don't have to keep 613 laws? We follow the one who leads us to the law of liberty, to the law of love. And so it's just so easy for us to fall back into old patterns, old ways of life, to things that don't apply to us. Could you imagine being in prison? Could you imagine being released from prison and walking out into sunlight, into freedom that you haven't known in years, and then you walk across the street into another dungeon of a prison, just a different jail with different amenities? Could you imagine doing that? And Paul is saying, Hey, this is why I'm fired up. Is that that's what you're doing? In a matter of time, in a short matter of time, you're drifting right back into those old ways and they no longer apply to you. You have more freedom than you think you have. That gets lost in the shuffle. Can I tell you, follower of Jesus? Like, I want my kids to hear this. I think two of them are in the room somewhere, but I want my kids to know this. That you have more freedom in Jesus than you think you have. You really do. This is, we talk about our values of gospel enjoyment, intentional community, and prayerful mission. And gospel enjoyment is this idea of the freedom that he gives us. Don't fall back into those old ways of legalism. But on the other side is what we call license. Think James Bond, 007, license to kill. Like, this is that, don't fence me in, I'm free as the wind. I mean, nobody's beck and call. I can do whatever I want. Freedom for us is like yesterday's weather in a convertible, right? With no nagging spouse, no uh, domineering boss, no pesky parent or kids. Like we're just on our own doing what we want to do. Don't you like those kind of days? Don't you like having some time off? Don't you like not having structure? God made me, in fact, to not have structure. That's how he made me, okay? Don't judge me. But like that don't fence me in. I love that freedom. But look, it can lead to license. It can lead to an opportunity. What does it say? For the flesh. For the flesh. Now, that's a word that's misunderstood. A lot of Christians get out of whack about this and don't understand it. Uh, some isms and schisms have taught uh, through the millennial that the, the flesh is bad. Listen to me. Your body is not bad. That's not a Christian doctrine. Parents, uh, as you raise kids, uh, some of us implicitly teach our kids that the body is bad there are dirty parts it's not good and healthy and that's not true Paul would say to the church at Corinth those who struggled with even temple prostitution and wanton sexuality he said glorify God in your body your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit there's nothing inherently bad about this tent that you have uh, some of us need to go to the gym a little more and do some things to take care of some things right but there's nothing inherently bad about this earthly tent that you have. The Greek word is this, sarx. Here it is. And that means basically, let me translate it for you, it's just an idea that it, the flesh here is a reference to the unrepented parts of you or to the parts of you that have not been turned over. It's the parts of you, hear me, that still desires sin. You still desire 
the sin, and that's the fleshly part of you. Now, you're going to read Galatians 5 later, right? And in Galatians 5, uh, we know famously, and we'll hit it next week, that Paul mentions uh, fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and self-control. We like that. We preach that. I drop that often here at Fondren Church. But, you know, there are references to the works of the flesh. There are 16 that Paul gives. The first three are sexual in nature, impurity, immorality, sensuality. The next two have to do with religious corruption, idolatry and sorcery. A lot of us, by instinct, understand idolatry. That's when you put something above God. But sorcery is when you seek to manipulate God. It's... um, magic and it could be witchcraft and it can be in today's society it can be a prosperity gospel it can be a word of faith name it and claim it type of theology where we think God exists to serve us he's a genie in the bottle he's a vending machine God as we looked at last year we get this out of whack and so idolatry and sorcery and then Paul when he's mentioning the works of the flesh he mentions eight works of the flesh that have to do with hear me relational conflict and he says in this, that there's enmity and strife and jealousy and fits of anger. There's rivalry and dissension and division and envy. Eight works of the flesh that represent relational conflict. And we'll look at why that's important, church, church leaders, in just a moment. And then lastly, Paul concludes the works of the flesh with three that what I would categorize as substance abuse. He mentions drunkenness and carousing or orgies and the like and the like in other words these are these are the works of the flesh where our soul feels dead and empty and bored and we need a dopamine hit it's a substance abuse problem we have to get that dopamine hit and so into our empty dead and bored selves we secretly find ways of escape whether it's through alcohol or drugs prostitution pornography impulse buying or likes and followers and reactions on social media, we get that hit, and it is a substance abuse problem. And it's the works of the flesh. And Paul is saying to those in Galatia that we have freedom, so much more freedom than you think that you have. But you're not free if you can't stop doing the thing that you don't want to do. And so we have to be really careful. Years and years ago, I haven't done it in a long time. I don't think I still could, but I went fly fishing for rainbow trout out uh, close to the Pacific in the northwest. Here's a picture of a rainbow trout. They're beautiful fish, colorful. That's why they get their name. They swim in really cool ways. They go upstream and jump. Very delightful uh, fish. They're rich in omega-3 fatty acids. And, uh, but listen, they're fish. And so a fish, just like a dog is a, a, a nose with a body, A fish is primarily a stomach and a mouth and two eyes. And this rainbow trout, I learned firsthand experience fishing with some buddies long ago, is that they they don't really reflect on the direction that their life is headed. What do they do? See a fly, want a fly, eat a fly. See a fly, want a fly, eat a fly. What happens? What happens if we live that way? What happens to you if you don't reflect on the direction that your life is headed? Paul described a group of people who just thought it was all about the flesh and it was all about themselves. And it's not flattering, but he says in Philippians 3.19, I don't have it on the screen, but listen to me as I quote it, Philippians 3.19, their destiny is destruction. 
their God is their stomach, their glory is their shame. They only think on earthly things. Can I say that again? Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. They only think of earthly things. The flesh is that part of us that will lead us astray time and time again. Fish swim together in schools, but they never learn. I remember because I wasn't a good fly fisherman, I grew a little bit bored and inept. And I remember thinking, gosh, rainbow trout, there's like a lure and it's going to trap you. There's this hook and you're going to get reeled in. Like, don't you know better? It's not real. But that is like us. We can swim in schools, we can go to school, we can get religious education. But time and time again, we get trapped, we get hooked and reeled in to our own detriment. A head coach has everything going for him. He's brilliant and charismatic and powerful. He has unlimited potential, but something's empty inside of him, and he hides a secret, and he, he pursues that secret in sexual liaison. And when he's found out, it costs him everything. A teacher, she, she knows every argument. She dominates every conversation. Everybody knows she's smart. She's a brilliant teacher, but nobody wants to be around her. A leader, a CEO of a large successful company, he's moving the bottom line and profit is rolling in, but his inner circle of friends, they all feel used. He's materially successful, but he's relationally impoverished. You see, they're going after something, just like you and I. There's this lure and it traps us. There's this hook and it reels us in. And what we think will bring us freedom actually enslaves us. It's the license of us doing whatever we want, whenever we want. We only think of ourselves. See a fly, want a fly, eat a fly. You won't be able to get far if your God is your stomach. Can I just tell you, your glory will be your shame. So Paul is writing to this group of, as we keep saying, early Jesus followers. And he's impassionately pleading to them to follow Jesus into what? Into, back into legalism? No. Into license? No. But into liberty, into freedom. So Galatians 5.14, look at it. Everybody in the room today at the 9.30, here at the 11 o'clock lower level and balcony, everybody knows this verse, and I bet you everybody's down with this verse. For the whole law, read it with me. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You've heard that, hadn't you? You're for that. Like, that's a good commandment. If we did that better as a church family, like, people would be so drawn to us. That would be so Christ-honoring if we were more like this. No, everybody knows it. Nobody's against it. But look at the next verse. Paul says, here's a problem. It's why he lists eight relational conflicts in the works of the flesh. But if you bite and devour one another, Galatians 5.15, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. You know, we do that. We do. You know, there have been times in my life where I've had a critical spirit. I think in the midst of my sin and weaknesses, it's been one of the great growth areas for me. But I've needed this perspective. Because when Jesus begins a work, it's always a revolution of love. And people are always attracted to love. You believe that? Always. Not hypocritical love, but real love. And in that, though, 
the enemy wants to work his work and he wants to work through our flesh. And we begin to find fault. We begin to get critical. I made an observation recently, just journaling and thinking, that most of the time when I receive criticism, you ready for this? It's secondhand. Isn't that something? Like, I don't hear it from the person. I hear it that they've said something to another person. Like, this person isn't that special. They're somewhere at a safe distance, right? They're somewhere. They didn't have the courage to, to come to me and talk to me directly, right? They chose, right? But it made them feel better, and they probably had the, the revelation, the knowledge that it would get back to me. And so it was safe to be critical. And what I've learned in submitting my own critical spirit to Jesus is to not to bite or devour anybody in our midst, anybody that I love and that I work with, any other pastors or churches in this community or anywhere, not to bite or devour. Because it can ultimately destroy. So the question I have for you is, do you want to be a fault finder? Or do you want to be a hope dealer? If anybody's listening to this sermon online this week, that's hope with an H. If you're going to be a dealer, I want you to deal hope. All right? Don't eat the brownies if you go to Colorado. But here we go. Are you a fault finder or are you a hope dealer? Now, while that's still up there, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever met a really critical person that you want to be like? Whew. I mean, they find fault. They could be a brilliant person. Armchair quarterback on a lazy boy in the living room, safe distance from the action. They know everything that's wrong, right? Have you ever met a critical person that you want to be like? I mean, they just run, you know, they're negative Nelly, they're Debbie Downer. They say they're Randy the realist, but they're actually just negative. I mean, they just bring people down. Have you ever wanted to be like someone like that? Anybody? Stand up and identify yourself. Some questions are rhetorical. Fault finder or a hope dealer. Proverbs 12, 18 says this. Man, I, wa I want this to be in my heart as a parent. My words are so powerful. Like I got one at college, almost done with him. Two still at the house. Like, but my word, listen parents, even when we think they're not listening, they are listening. There's one whose rash words are like sword thrust. By the way, if you're a mom and you're riding around in that sport utility crossover minivan and the kids are little and they're behind you, they're hearing what you're saying about the preacher of Fondren Church. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Romans 15. May the God of what? Hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Not, not in growing more cynical. Not in finding fault with everything and everybody, but in believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you don't have the strength to do this yourself. You may abound in hope pretty big deal to God. First Timothy chapter 1, Jesus is referred to as our hope. In Titus 2, he's referred to as our blessed hope. In 1 Peter 1, he's called our living hope. Like that's what we're called to do to bring hope to people, to deal in hope. That's the call. Oh, what would it be like if God had got a hold of us as a church and we brought hope to people and freedom to people that we could say, not just in word, but in deed, they could see it as a part of our practice that you really do. The gospel says to you, you've got nothing to prove, nothing to hide, and nothing to fear. You can walk in freedom and be who you are. 
always, no matter where you are, you can be one whole integrated person, a very imperfect person, a person under construction, a work in progress, a person that others need to be patient with, but you are moving more and more to wholeness and integrity. Nothing to prove, nothing to hide, nothing to fear, and you can bring hope to others who cannot, have not found this freedom. So in the Bible, it says in uh, a proverb, I'm about to justify this next illustration. But in Proverbs it says, as a fool returns to his folly, so a dog returns to its own vomit. I wanted one of you to say it first. So the Bible mentions vomit, okay, because I'm about to preach on vomit. And then again it mentions it in 1 Peter chapter 2. It says the same thing, quoting the proverb, that if you keep making the same mistake, you're like a dog that returns to its vomit. Now what does a dog do when it goes to its vomit? It eats it. This is, this is really gross illustration. But if there's vomit outside on the sidewalk, you're not going to return to it. And you're not going to eat it. But by contrast, if you put me in front of a prime rib, you don't have to command me to eat it. Just as we don't have to command you not to return to that vomit. Okay, graphic, sometimes graphic is good. You don't have to be commanded not to do that, to do what a dog would do. Now, some of you kiss your dog after your dog has done that, but that's another thing. But anyway, you're not, you don't have to be commanded, don't go to the vomit, right? Because you hate vomit. And you don't have to command me and maybe most of you to eat the prime rib because you love it. And so we're not called to legalism, falling back into old religious ways and the law that doesn't apply. We're not called to license where we serve our flesh and get trapped, what we think is bringing freedom actually enslaves us. But we're called to liberty. And here's what Jesus wants to do in us. This is the essence of the gospel. What he wants to do is he wants to get a hold of your heart and change your heart so that you love what is good and you hate what is evil. And in that, you will hate the spiritual vomit of your sin and you will love the prime rib of righteousness. Because you will want to do what is right. Sometimes around the house, Susan will be walking toward a light switch or a lamp. And she's going to turn it on. And just for fun, I'll say out loud in a very uh, masterful way. I'll say, I command thee to turn that switch on. You must obey me. And what will she do? She'll stop and pivot foot. Don't preach, baby. I got the sermon. She'll, ta- she'll stop right. She'll turn right. She's not going to do what I say. She was going to turn the light on. But since I told her to do it, she's not going to do it. Like, like what's true of Susan, we're just being silly here. We kind of have a, we have a pretty good marriage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's kind of in us, you know, like we don't want to be told. We don't want there to be some commandment. We don't want someone lording over us and telling us what we don't want to do. But here's what love does. The truth is, carrying that illustration out, she'll, she'll pivot foot and just play a joke for a second, but she'll turn the switch on because she loves me, and I love her, and she knows that I'm picking on her. And see, the law would say to us, I must do, I must do, I must do, I must do, I must do. And if, if you hadn't noticed, you're not doing too well in the I must do's. Like, I, I, I break a lot of the I must do's. It weighs heavy on me. But when I realize... He has done. 
I, I, like, that frees me up. And here's what Paul said. Paul said, and I'll put it on the screen, verse 1, stand firm in it. I, did you miss that part? Like, stand firm in it. And that's a, an explicitly military term that means fight for it. Fight for freedom? Yeah, fight for freedom. Like, we're here today. This isn't a patriotic Sunday, but we're here today because some people fought for your freedom. And this is worth fighting for, and the way you fight is to stand firm. I drove with a friend the other day. He, he drove half the way. It's his car, and I drove the way back, and he let me drive. And his car was badly aligned, and it was one of those where, you know, the moment I let go of the steering wheel, it wouldn't drift into a ditch. It would, like, dart into a ditch. It was like, you know. So I had to really hold on to the steering wheel. And it's funny sometimes we think, oh, grace, 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 you know, just freedom. Freedom is freeing, but you have to hold on. You have to stand firm. You have to fight for it, because if you don't, you're going to drift back into one of these ways, really. You know, there's a revolutionary war. I'm going to close. But there's a revolutionary war where men fought long and hard to leave the tyranny of England with dreams of a new land that would one day be called the United States of America. They risk their lives and sacrifice greatly for what? For freedom. And these same men endorsed slavery and owned slaves. Isn't it ironic? Isn't it isn't it full of hypocrisy? You fight for freedom. You gain freedom, but others aren't made free. I don't have to tell anybody what a terrible time that was. The experiment of slavery failed in America. Let's be clear. And a war was sparked, and the, one of the primary reasons was because of this issue. Are all men created equal? Are all men free? I like what Jesus says about it. I like how the Bible moves it forward. That's another sermon. But you see, you're made free. And you offer freedom to other people. And that's the community that we're called to be. Stand firm in this. Stand firm in it. In the experiment, the experience you have with freedom, you invite others in. Now we can debate all day endlessly and sparks could fly and emotions could come into play of what you believe about America and the president and his analogy of a snake and the system of merit on immigration and the wall and all that stuff like again I'm not you know I love my job I'm not going to preach any of that today but like we can't equivocate when it comes to the gospel that it's a message of freedom for all and that we are to experience and invite people in here's what I know that's so cool this is just general but I know three people in our church family um, who not that long ago had some things to prove some stuff to fear and something to hide they took a chance they walked into freedom believing the gospel to be true and now they're growing to a point where they're giving back to someone who's experiencing that darkness it's like the same struggle and uh, you know that's who we are bunch of messed up folks 
from time to time. I guess I drop this on you about twice a year, but man, you're messed up. You are messed up. Nod your head. I'll close the sermon. You're messed up. If you think you're not, you're one or two decisions away from being messed up. Just hang around. You're going to mess up. And I'm thankful for the gospel of freedom. Would you stand? Let me pray for us. And we're going to open up this altar and be down front. And we would love to uh, pray for you, to pray over you. What a privilege it was at the 930 to embrace some folks and pray for something in their lives. We covet that.